Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That was garbage last night, Judd. I am so angry. You think you're mad. Okay, good. good. I was there. The, well, so was I. I invested my time. Kenny, pay, Kenny probably paid to go to that game Dude, last night. I was there. You I witnessed there? that whole piece of crap game last night. Go to the St. Paul police and file a report. <laughs> that's a fraud. That's a brilliant fraud. idea. We should take them to court. Keller fires and scores, and the Coyotes come from three goals down to win in overtime here in St. Paul tonight. Oh, that's not good enough. It's pretty simple. It was the message after the game, and it's the, it's the message from here on in. I mean, you're fighting for your playoff lives, and you come up and you blow a three nothing lead to a team that's that doesn't isn't going to be in the playoffs. It's not. It's not. Uh, you can't uh, be successful if you do that. It's been it's been great. Um, it was it was an early morning, and, and it was, but it was. It was, it was an Stop exciting this. day. It was, it Stop was, this. I don't want to hear about Parisian <laughs> kids anymore. Stop kid. this. I don't care. Parisian kids. Stop that. Oh, hold on. First of all, can we point out the fraudulence of the traffic man? You know how much he paid for those tickets yesterday? When I found out their tickets were selling for like $300 a piece, I went to the station and they sent me four tickets. I took my son there for his well, 18th birthday. you still went, though. His 18th birthday. You've got a case. Yeah. You, no, you know, got, and you I, had to, to I had to leave work early and yeah, all of that. Yeah, you've got a case. But, Judd, the, I, I mean, there's <laughs> one thing. It's the bad early. play, the lazy play. They don't give a damn about the game. But then it's a whole other thing that the fans just sit there and accept it. In the old days, we would have been throwing crap on the ice, burning jars of poop are you would have familiar, been thrown out there. Kenny, are, are you familiar with the term Stockholm Syndrome? Oh, yeah. This is Stockholm Syndrome. You're right. These poor people have been brainwashed beyond belief yeah. to put up with this crap year after year after year. Yeah. And they all need to be freed. Judd, when they I were up, free them. they were up 3-0, and I knew we were going to lose it. I knew it. And it, what, it came down to the last 20 so seconds. The coach. They tied it up. The last, yes, they did. And then boom, 19 seconds gone. left, they tied it up. Uh, the coach did feel the same way. Even when I threw nothing, I wasn't comfortable. <laughs> I mean, we weren't skating. You and Kenny. Uh, Bruce and Kenny. They were beating us to every loose puck. They were outworking us. And uh, uh, we got three three goals, but uh, it, it wasn't a 3 nothing game at the time. It's been, it's been great. Um I can't believe you're playing. It was it was an early morning and congratulations. It was it was it was an exciting day. It was it was it was awesome. A coach has got to be eating heart medicine like Cheerios, hasn't he? How can he be this calm? I would be so enraged. Okay, here's my theory. He hates this group so much that there's he knows there's nothing that he can do. He I think he takes joy in watching them blow a three nothing lead. I mean, I think I think after the game he doesn't pop. Heart medication, Kenny. He pours a big glass of bourbon and sits back and says, "These bleepers." 
They did fire it again. my ass and give me a buyout. And, uh, and, and every me once in a while, one. Bruce's phone rings and there's just a man on the other end laughing hysterically. It's Mike. Yo. That's Mike. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to start over. Get rid of the whole yes. team. Yes. Get rid of all of them. Do you guys want to talk about the real action on the ice last night? Because Nathan Chen was awful too for oh the U.S. Oh my gosh. Boy, Nathan Chen would have fit right in with that overtime. Now what collection. happened? Oh, he fell a couple times, and who is he? I don't know. He's a he's a figure men's figure skater. It, okay, so in four, you know what? Nathan Chen would have had a better chance to score a goal in overtime than the fossils the Wild put on the ice for about three and a half minutes. Tara Lipinski referred to him as the peacock of this American figure <laughs> you know skating group. He NBC is. loved that, by the way. Oh yeah. You know what we need? It just came to me right now. From what you guys told me about the Johnny Weir meltdown, we need Johnny Weir on FSN. That's what we need. We need Johnny Weir working wild games. That's not a bad idea. You think you like figure skating? Terrell Lipinski and Johnny Weir don't just like figure skating. Don't play that one. Football oh, sorry. two page. Oh, okay, my bad. Football I was I was going to go for the home run bit there. Let's no. go back to wild. We'll okay. get back to All the right. skating stuff. Okay, okay, let me let me start out here. So last night I go to this game, and you got to remember, Friday night they play Vegas, and Vegas is a good team. They're an expansion team, but they're good. They beat them 5-2. Really nice performance. And so we get all the crap about this is how we play. This is how we approach the game. Saturday you go to Dallas. You get beat 6-1. to one. You no-show the game. Then, of course, in wild fashion, you're thinking to yourself, well, that was really bad. How are they going to come back? They respond by going to St. Louis and beating the Blues 6-2. to They give up a goal 45 seconds in, and then they come back. This is wild. This is us. And then they come back again last night. And here's here's the thing. I, I am speaking to you fans who pay your hard-earned money to get into that that arena on a nightly basis. And I understand you like hockey. So do I. I love the sport. But this group of human beings does not deserve your money. They don't deserve your applause. And they don't deserve you even showing up for games. We have all seen teams that pretty much stink and get referred to as a lovable group of losers, right? That's a lovable group of losers. This is a despicable group of losers made up of players who don't give a damn. And if they do give a damn, it's every other game. And maybe it's not that. You beat, or you were up 3-0 on a team last night in the Arizona Coyotes that had 33 points going in. They are 7-16-6 on the road. And here is what drives me crazy about this team. You know what they're going to do Saturday? They're going to come out and get Chicago, and they're going to win 6-3, to three, or they're going to win 6-2. to two. This team does not deserve a playoff berth. They don't deserve your money, and they deserve to have the roster completely blown up. And doing it's going to be very difficult because you got these stupid no-trade, no-move clauses. But this team doesn't deserve anything from you. This team deserves what the Rangers said that they're, that they're going to do yesterday, which is they deserve to say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to tear it apart because these people don't deserve to be in the playoffs. It's been it's been great. Um, it was it was an early morning and, and it was, but it was it was it was an exciting day. It was it was it was awesome. I love trolling you sometimes. So okay, hold on a second, hold on, watch this. <laughs> Those are glasses. Yes, I can't I take it anymore. Just broke his glasses. <laughs> wow, I can't take it any. I can't glasses. take it anymore. I can't. Come God. on. Little Theodore Jean Paul you know Parisi. It's great he had a kid. It's fantastic. I think that's fantastic. He played in the game. And he At played least he in didn't the game. Skip the game. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh, you know what? He not only played in, in the game. Congratulations, Zach. 
But as you pointed out before, and, and you watch some puck. I mean, you're not Mr. Hockey, I right? Was, uh, I was in last night mostly for the ambulance chasing. Okay. But once I saw the lead starting to slip away, I was in. Okay, but but you tell me, what did Wes Wall say in overtime when Zach Parisi was on the ice in three-on-three? Three? Yeah, uh, Wes Wall, so I lo- he's properly critical of, of the wild when he needs to be. Uh, you had three fossils on the ice for like two minutes in overtime last night with that second shift. And Zach Parisi, so at first, Zach Parisi sort of skates around with the puck in order to get the other two guys off the ice so that you can get some fresh legs. It's three on three. Um, or is it four? No, three, it was three, three on three. three. Yes. It's three on three. So he skates around with the puck, and Wes Walls first says, hey, great job by this wild team. You know, you know, corral that puck, get a couple new fresh legs on the ice. Then he pauses and goes, Zach's got to get off the ice now, too. Like, he kept skating around with the next unit. Yes, he did. Because he was, first of all, he's 33, coming off. What, at least one or two surgeries? And a ba- coming off a back surgery. Um, yes. I don't know. Sometimes I wonder why in a wide open, and I'm not a puck expert here, but it would seem that fewer guys on the ice means speed and quickness are more important if you want to win a game that's up and down and uh, and you got five minutes to put the puck in the back of the net. They give themselves no chance when they put some of those guys on the ice together. Like at one point, the average age of the three guys on the ice in overtime was 33 and a half. How are you going to, in that situation, how are you going to more often than not skate fast enough and be quick enough unless someone gives you a breakaway? That's just one minor thing, by the way. Last night was more of a microcosm. But it's it's not minor because of this. It's the selfish nature of the individuals on this team that causes them to believe that they can stay on the ice indefinitely in three-on-three, which is stupid. Even if you're a young player, you have to know to get off. And by the way, in three-on-three, there's certain situations where you get off the ice, and that is when the puck is in the offensive zone because then it's not going to be a problem. Parisi had every opportunity. Ryan Studer is guilty of the same exact thing. And then when they get really gassed and sometimes try and get to the bench, it's too late. I told you the situation with Koivu a a month back where Koivu basically extended his shift and then got off the ice and and just in time for for the goal to be scored because he screwed it up. So I, I I felt like I was watching three plastic table hockey players who were able to move like 90 degrees. And that's like watching those guys on the... So here's my question to you. Because I agree at this point. I don't care if you're... I don't, I, I don't even care what the standings say today. Either you're the 8 seed or the 9 seed. It goes back and forth every night. Is there any legitimate argument to be made if we're being totally objective and you're not letting your wild fan emotions pull you in the direction of they can make one more run? Right. If you're being totally objective about the roster and totally objective about what this team looks like right now, is there any argument to be made that this window is still open enough to to add pieces at the trade deadline, which is in, by the way, two and a half weeks? Yeah, it's February 26th. I, mean, I, I, I would lean towards shopping Eric Stahl as much as I could over the next two and a half weeks. He's 33. He's having a really good season again. Mm-hmm. I would shop him. I mean, look up and down. So Koivu, Parisi, Suter, even Stahl, who's playing the best out of all those guys, these guys are fossils in a league with young stars all over the place. The closest thing you have on this roster right now to a franchise player the next three years is Mikhail Granlund, and you're seeing his upside right now. This is his upside. And, and by it's the pretty way, good, but it's not star franchise player good. Yes, and by, by the, the way, he and Zucker, I believe, were both on the ice for three goals against last night. And the answer to your question is no. The window is closed. Like, Charlie Coyle's been in the league for six yeah, years, and he, and he can be like he can't score. He disappears. He does it well. Charlie Charlie Coyle can score when he wants to score. Charlie Coyle is one of, and there's quite a few of these guys, the poster children for this team. And that is, they can score if they want to, 
but they disappear for extended periods of time, and it drives you crazy. Yeah. And the answer to your question, Phil, is absolutely no. They're, the window is closed. It's done. It didn't work. The Parisi Suter contracts, which I will still go back and endorse at the time, are a failure. If your goal was to get to a Stanley Cup Finals or win a championship, it is a failure now. And this group, as it's constructed, you know what they are? You know what this group is? This group is the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, sans LeBron, but they broke up the Cavaliers yesterday because it was an eminently unlikable, downright hateable group of human beings who didn't like each other and didn't work well together. And weren't, that's, good, and weren't good. And, yeah. and weren't good. But that's this team, only they don't have LeBron. So they've got no star. They have no star, and they have a group. Boudreaux, I honest to God believe this. I think he was so calm last night because he's realized these guys don't care. And if you're a coach, you can only care so much yourself. And if you want to rant and rave and drop F-bombs, you can do that to a point, and then you realize, you know what? They're not listening. And they're going to do what they damn well please, which means Saturday they're going to come back and win. And I could see them going on a two-week stretch where they play great hockey, and we all say again, oh, they're back in the race. This is fantastic. I just love the Wild. Well, guess what? (laughs) They're going to turn around after that, and they're going to do something stupid because they're an apathetic group who thinks they're good. They have the audacity and hubris to think they're good. They're not good. They're mediocre. They have some talent. And when they want to apply their talent, they can win hockey games. And for the most part, they decide when they're going to apply that talent. And last night, they just didn't happen to want to. And you know what? Sometimes, like if you're just going to face reality, and this happened this happened with the Tigers in baseball, uh, you know, it, it's happening maybe with the Spurs. Sometimes your window is closed. Yeah. And either you cashed in the championships that you wanted to, or you didn't. And when they signed Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter, in you know, in their prime, they were 27 years old when they signed those guys to decade and a half long contracts. Yep. Those were championship or bust signings. And I think the window is closed enough to where we can pretty officially say it was a good run of playoffs. They were relevant for five or six years. They might even make the playoffs this year, but the window's closed. And now you have to figure out with full no trade clauses. Can you shift other pieces around to prop those guys up in their mid-30s? Can you make and them compete? consultants? Can you tank enough? Like, can you even lose enough games? Because Ryan Suter is still a, a very viable quality defenseman. Um, like, th- this is where you're in a tough spot because you might not be able to get bad enough and strip it down to, to, to draft number oh, one or number two overall. This, this is, is where, like, Lou Nanny has been talking about this for three years on our show. This is, this is what you should dread as a general manager. Absolutely the worst place to be. Sports purgatory. Because you're not going to be, you're probably not going to be bad enough to get high draft picks, but you you are capped as far as being probably a seven or eight seed, or you're out of the playoffs. I think you're right. I would look to trade Eric Stahl. You're stuck with uh, Parisi and Suter. Koivu you gave an extension to, which makes zero sense. But I would look to trade what I possibly can. I think you need to break this up, though, starting with what's in that locker room. I really do. I think before we even worry about the product on the ice, what we have to realize is this is a fully dysfunctional bunch, and they have been for years now, and poor Boudreaux is stuck in the middle, and I wouldn't blame him one bit after this year if he says, bleep it, I'm going to walk away and go to a team that at least has a chance. Uh, We will catch up with our friend Chip Scoggins, Star Tribune, from the Winter Olympics. It's like midnight or one in the morning, and he's still up and working, and so we're going to look at him, and we can talk about the Vikings' new offensive coordinator. We'll mix in some more... What should the Wild do discussions? I can't believe you weren't watching the real action on the ice last night. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed it. You think you like figure skating? 
Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir don't just like figure skating. They f***ing love it. I am feeling this, guys. Oh! oh my gosh. So unexpected. Again, one of those moments they hit all the difficult elements and you trip like that. She didn't go down, though. It's not a mandatory one-point deduction, but it was otherwise a brilliant short program for them. We haven't seen them skate that well in no. quite some time. In a you can see age, her really. smile ear to ear. Figure skating! Yeah! yeah. yeah. Toe loops! Kiss and cry! Yeah, hit the toe pick! Tassels! Triple lots! Mackie and Judd now continue. Here comes the life of the party! On 1500. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. ESPN. I knew the Redskins like to play what we call middle of the field open on second and long. So if there's a single safety middle here, we call that middle of the field closed. Middle of the field open means that there's two safeties. So we're calling this route for middle of the field open. So we knew on second and extra long, there was a good chance the Redskins were going to be in middle of the field open. That is football porn from the Vikings' official new offensive coordinator, John D. Filippo. The team just sent out a press release. Uh, reports came out yesterday. So John D. Filippo, the quarterback's coach the last couple of years for Carson Wentz. And obviously, Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. So let's go across multiple oceans. Let's go across multiple time zones to Chip Scoggins. We'll talk some Olympics here. But Chip, uh, what time is it where you are covering the Winter Olympics? And what the hell restaurant were you at last night or <laughs> for us this morning where they made you cook your own meal? <laughs> it is 12.15 uh, a.m. here. Uh, Friday night, and yeah, I stumbled into my first couple nights here. You, you know, you work so late here that you can't really get uh, go out to dinner, and uh, so I've eaten chicken tenders and uh, some spaghetti from the media uh, center. But uh, tonight with the open ceremonies, I got out there a little early, so I stumbled into a place where they had steaks, pictures of steaks on the uh, on the window. Uh, little did I know that I had to cook the meal myself, but uh, it turned out okay. What were these ceremonies like, Chipper, to open the games? How was it? Um, I I didn't go, but I, I uh, you know I watched some of the hit on TV and then uh, just reading the reports that well, one it was very cold, um, but two, um, it, it's it's a major story here, and I assume it is back there, but even you know obviously more so here with North Korea sending athletes um, to the Olympics and they marched with the South Koreans and. Um, and then you know you had uh, Kim Jong Un's uh, sister uh, was was present in, in one of the boxes and sitting there uh, Mike Pence and so it was just uh, a lot of political um, things going on and and um, it's just interesting that you know South Korea is uh, this has kind of been their moment to shine and, and show off and, and here at the eleventh hour really uh, start of January is when I think. Uh, Kim Jong-un said he was going to send athletes here, and that's just kind of been a, a major story here the first week. Um, and, you know, kind of has a local tie um, for us with Sarah Murray, Andy Murray's daughter, played at uh, Minnesota Duluth. She's coaching the South Korean hockey team, and all of a sudden they tell her, hey, you have to take 12 North Koreans on your team, um, have no idea if they can play or how good they are, and, and oh, by the way, you have to play uh, three of them um, every game, or they have to be in the lineup. You don't there's no restrictions on how much she has to play him, but three North Koreans have to be in her lineup every game. So it's, it's interesting to see how all this kind of played out. Hey, I don't know if you covered this or anything, but uh, what happened to our curling squad? Nine to one? Yeah, the uh, the the uh, brother and sister tandem. Yeah, the guy with the mustache. Yeah, they won the. I guess they won their first 
match, and then they've gone 0-3 since. I haven't, I haven't seen them. I actually want to get out um, and talk to them. I heard they're kind of a kind of a hoot. But I know they play tomorrow morning, I think, and uh, they need to win to advance. Um, otherwise, um, they'll go to the regular teams. And I was talking to Rachel Blount, our uh, Olympics writer who, who is here with me, that the U.S. is the only team that um, has uh, – the mixed doubles, the the team is is also part of the you know the regular teams that are here. So every other country, you you did one or uh, the other, but uh, with Team USA, they're allowing them to do both. So we'll see, we'll see yeah, if they can uh, if they can win tomorrow in advance. Here was the quote after: Do you call it a match? What do you call a curling? A game of curling? A match of curling? Maybe a match. Yeah. A match Sounds of curling. Yeah. Here was the quote from Matt Hamilton after the nine-one loss to South Korea. Didn't handle the ice this game, and it's tough to stay energetic and hyped up when things aren't going your way. I didn't know getting hyped up was one of the prerequisites for uh, successful curling, but there it is. Uh, yeah, I, me either. But uh, they said <laughs> um, him and his sister. They say him and his sister are really funny and uh, kind of fun to talk to. So I hope they advance because I'd like to get out and do a column on it at some point here in the next two weeks. Which uh, sports chipper intrigue you most? Well. I have a column running. My brain's kind of fried here, in the time difference. But I think it's running Saturday. Uh, um, yeah, that makes sense. On um, the ski jumping, so I went there three nights ago. They had a practice, uh, kind of a training thing, and, and just sat there at the bottom of the hill for like an hour and a half, watching these guys just launch themselves into uh, into orbit. It, that 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 event. Those guys are just certifiably crazy to do to do ski jumping. Um, I, I love that one. Um, I'm cur- I'm kind of curious about hockey, Judd. I know the NHL players has, has lost its luster, but I'm kind of interested to see who comes out of this. I, I would think that Russia is probably the best team, but um, it'll be interesting to see kind of what the level of play is without the NHL players. Yeah. Uh, did were you at the Lindsey Vaughn press conference? I was. What? Uh, so uh, first of all. She said, I believe I saw this off your Twitter account, that she, because it seems like she's injured every year and, and bouncing back, and yeah. she's getting toward the end of it, that she's been rehabbing for like three years total, just in terms of rehab the last since the last Olympics? Yeah, someone asked her if she's, she's ever calculated how, how much of her life that she spent doing rehab on injuries, and okay. she kind of went through it real quick in her head, and she said, yeah, three years, and most of them have been here in the last whatever five years it is. But she she basically said this is her last Olympics, um, which... You know that makes sense considering her age and and you know all the injuries she's had. Um, so she became really emotional at one point. I guess her grandfather died last month or within the last six weeks, and she was hoping that he would be able to uh, live long enough to watch her, you know, compete in one more Olympics. And he and he wasn't able to, and so she became very emotional then. And so it'll be interesting to see if if her you know if her knees will hold up and if she can. Um, you know, make a run. I know she's been uh, skiing really well here, coming into it and uh, into the Olympics. So um, she seemed pretty confident that she's going to have a good uh, performance here. So, yeah. Hey, before we uh, let you get some sleep for uh, for the night here and rest up yeah. for your for your two and a half three weeks there, um, John D. Filippo. I mean, you saw the Eagles' performance throughout the postseason and uh, Nick Foles' Super Bowl MVP. The Vikings made it official here just like a half hour ago that he is the offensive coordinator. So, what does that do for you, Chipper? Yeah, I, I like it. It's always that uh, situation when the, the head coach is the, you know, the architect, so to speak, in the play card, much like Mike Zimmer on defense. Um, but if if he, you know, can 
kind of bring some of that Doug Peterson magic in terms of the aggressiveness, play calling, and um, you know, really being diverse with with uh, the offense and um, the way he handled uh, the quarterbacks and and the way Nick Foles got better and Carson Wentz, the way he developed. I think it's a positive. I mean, you're coming out of a great system. You're coming out of a Super Bowl champion, and you've been working with a head coach who's really sharp and a, and a great creative play caller. So I, I think it's I, – I like to hire. I really do. Yeah. All right, that's Chip Scoggins. Get some sleep, Chipper. Our correspondent right. from uh, the Winter Olympics. Go crash, Chipper. I'll see you guys soon. All right, sounds good, man. Chip Scott gets from Chipper the Chipper sounds exhausted, and I don't blame him. That's got to be one of the most grueling like things to report on. Because You're probably bouncing all over the place. You don't know the country. He didn't know. Like, he went to a restaurant last night. That's what he was explaining. Yeah. And and he's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just I don't even know how to read the menu really. And they so they put a bunch of food and steaks and stuff. And they said, Oh, you cook the meal on this grill. And he's like, Oh, okay. I would say, No, no, <laughs> I don't cook the meal. Bye. I'll see you later. Yeah, you cook the meal. But a McDonald's. I'm not saying that our jobs are tough, but he's so he's 15 hours ahead there. And I think the problem I, I've never covered one, but my guess is at the Olympics. If you cover it, you never feel like you're in the right place. Like you could go to one thing, and you're like, should I have gone to this? So my my guess is among the events that you can cover, the Olympics has to be the most grueling because it's so long and there's so many things going on all the time. I would think if you're covering figure skating, you're always in the right place, Judd. You think you like figure skating? Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir don't just like figure skating. They f- love it. That's the worst short program I've ever seen from Nathan Chen. Figure skating! Woo! Yeah! yeah. Toe loops! Kiss and cry! Yeah, hit the toe pick! Tassels! Triple lots! Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They're not teaching uh, Sunday school class in terms of morality. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. We knew the Redskins like to play what we call middle of the field open on second and long. So if there's a single safety middle here, we call that middle of the field close. Middle of the field open means that there's two safeties. So we're calling this route for middle of the field open. So we knew on second and extra long, there was a good chance the Redskins were going to be in middle of the field open. We have three types of reads for the quarterbacks. We have pure progression reads, which are literally, no matter what the coverage is, one to two to three. We have a single high, two high reads. Literally, we're reading one side of the field. If it's too high, another side of the field. If it's single safety middle. And then we have what we call levels throws, okay? Levels throws is an example of this play right here. We're going to have a man high, a man in the middle, and a man low. Yes, football porn. John D. Filippo. Oh. Do you have more? Oh, do we have more? We're reading depth, width, and hips of that safety right here. He's getting deep. He's not getting width, okay, in his hips or towards the sideline. So if we say two out of three, if he's not getting deep, if his hips are to the sideline, or he's not getting any width, we're going to cut that ball loose to the deep ball right there. Yes. Come on, John Filippo. Tell me more about your schemes. Now we see this safety cut the ball right there. We see him trying to cut Alshon. So now we have a one-on-one matchup right there with Zach Ertz on a linebacker. And I haven't seen a linebacker in this league cover Zach Ertz yet. And again, this is a great example of the maturation, again, of our quarterback. This is what we call throw covered, about to be uncovered. Right now, Zach Ertz is covered. That ball's gone, okay? We know that Zach Ertz is going to beat this linebacker with speed. So yeah, he, he he's covered right now, but we're going to throw him uncovered to this area of the field for a huge completion. Uncovered. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's nice when he's uncovered. You think John DiFilippo loves football? <laughs> he doesn't just love football. He bleeping loves football or something like that. Uh, that's the new Vikings offensive coordinator. He's very smart. 
Obviously. And that was one of his film breakdowns. Clearly does nothing but watch film all the time. Uh, no, which is what he should be doing because the Vikings have a tough schedule and they have question marks at quarterback. So let, let's start here with, with the John Filippo breakdown because this seems like a great hire. You know, obviously time will tell and there's right. been hot commodity up and up and coming young coaches who flame out, but everybody seems to rave about John D. Filippo. His resume is the best available resume, I think, um, of all the you know, the young options. I mean, Daryl Bevel has a resume that's different. He's been to although they're they're a bit similar. Daryl Bevel has more experience as a coordinator. D. Filippo has yes. one year as a coordinator. Yes, far more for Bevel. But exactly. his most recent work, D. Filippo as a quarterback guru involves rookie Derek Carr. Young Carson Wentz, who was an MVP candidate, maybe the leading MVP candidate before the injury. Mm-hmm. And also, two other things, too. Helping Josh McCown to one of his best seasons in a decade-and-a-half-long career in Cleveland a couple of years ago. And prepping Nick Foles to be Super Bowl MVP. So, um, I've heard a couple people, for sure, who are in the know, suggest that he's one of the most innovative young coaches in the NFL. And even maybe a, a Sean McVay type. Like and the next Sean McVay Shanahan, type. And I, I saw him grouped with those guys as possibly sort of next on that list. So let me give you the reason why I think they like this guy so much. Staying with, with the theme of uh, loving film. Being adaptable. Let me give you the word flexibility. I think it's flexibility. And here's why. In Cleveland in 2015, he worked with McCowan and, and Manziel. And Manziel flopped. That's about but, as wide of a gap. But of... that's not his fault that Manziel flopped. No. That offense that year in 2015 when he was OC with the Browns passed for the fourth most yards in franchise history. 4,000 plus yards. That offense was a, a team that ultimately went 3-13. and 13. So the passing yards are pretty good. But I think this is what put the Vikings possibly o- over the top. The transition this year and the role that DeFilippo played in Wentz to Foles. Because what they did is is what, what we talked about, what Shermer did, and it's probably, in my mind right now, the most important thing. They took the Wentz offense, and he got hurt and said, hold on a second here. We can't ask Nick Foles to run this offense. And the reason why I think it was possibly a little bit clunky for a couple weeks was they morphed it. And so instead of saying, man, Carson Wentz has been great and it's too bad he's hurt. Okay, Nick Foles, you're, you're next man up and now go run this offense. Like the Vikings did with Joe Webb. Exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, that you got to run the Christian Ponder offense instead of like a read option. The thing, the thing that that's exactly it. The thing that drove me the most nuts about the playoff game that year in Green Bay was was Ponder gets hurt. Webb starts. They run one series of of an offense that was basically geared towards Webb. And you said, hey, this is pretty smart. And then they come back for the remainder of that game and say, okay, Joe, now run the Christian Ponder offense. It made no sense. But I think what might have been one of the biggest selling points was was when you look at what uh, Peterson and Reich and DeFilippo did was they took the Wentz offense and said, we need to change it. And they did. And I really believe that now the most important thing that you can do is be adaptable, be adjustable, be flexible. And that's why I don't think it's a given who who the QB is going to be. And, you know, we've already seen the stories about, is it going to be Nick Foles? No, I don't think there is no way that I don't think the Vikings are going to trade a high draft pick for Nick Foles. What this guy showed you was he has the ability to take the quarterback he's given and work with that quarterback. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're right on that. I also think that, you know, as we sit here and talk about quarterback options and, 
You know, are they going to break the bank, back up the Brinks truck for a Kirk Cousins? I mean, jo- Josh McCown's name has been out there because he's a journeyman veteran backup, and he's been pretty good. Not every year in, in his 30s, but he's been pretty good this last year with the Jets with a bunch of crappy infrastructures. Well, Josh McCown has been with John D. Filippo twice in his career. Go back to Oakland about 10 years ago in 2007, and it wasn't a great year for him. Um, it wasn't a great year for the Raiders or a great time for the Raiders. He went 2-7 and seven as a starting quarterback, only had 58% completions, had more interceptions than touchdowns. He was mostly a disaster. But Josh McCown, who's now, by the way, 39 years old, in Cleveland with Filippo three years ago, had one of the better passer ratings in the NFL, 93.3, mm-hmm. had uh, 12 touchdowns, four picks, and then with the Jets last year, so away from Filippo, but you know more body of work for for uh, McCown, 18 touchdowns, nine picks in the 13 games he played, had a 94.5 passer rating, above average QBR. I could see if the stakes get a little too high for a Case Keenum, if Kirk Cousins is off the board to the Jets or something, because they want to pay $30 million. And mm-hmm. Arizona, who thinks they can contend next year with Larry Fitzgerald and with a couple stud players on defense, they go to Case Keenum and say, we're going to make you a made man, three years, big contract, and the Vikings say, too rich for our blood. I could see a third stint between Josh McCown, 39 years old, as a guy competing for a starting job with Teddy Bridgewater, and you pay a lot less for your quarterbacks. If you don't want to gamble on Kirk Cousins and you don't want to pay the pay the freight on Case Keenum, mm-hmm. I think that's a more legit option, Josh McCown, than it was two or three days ago. And that's not going to do a lot for Vikings fans. No, I, I get it. Say, you're not def- sitting out there. I'm yeah. not saying it's going to be. You're going to yawn you're, at that. You're not going to. But you got to keep in mind, John D. Filippo was part of this innovative offensive staff. He doesn't deserve all the credit. Frank Reich's going to get some, and obviously Doug Peterson gets the most. But Nick Foles was the Super Bowl MVP after being mostly a dormant backup for the last five years. Mm-hmm. So that's that's worth something. If John D. Filippo is the guy who's helping to craft game plans, um, who's who's just like the most vocal and active teacher among the group of offensive coaches, that's worth something. Mm-hmm. So if they can do that with a second-year Carson Wentz and a backup journeyman Nick Foles and beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I would be confident in John Filippo's ability to teach Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum, uh, you know, non-top-tier quarterbacks, I guess, is where I'm going with this. And I still wouldn't mind if you franchise Case and brought Teddy back as well. Uh, the other interesting aspect to this, I guess, is my question is how much did uh, Filippo learn from Peterson, too, as far as, as you know, in-game? I mean, we, we talked about that yesterday. When if you—the fact that Peterson— is smart enough, uh, can think fast enough, and process quickly enough to have have guys basically giving him game situations in, in his headset is impressive. And the thing that I'm sure was the selling point uh, for this job for Filippo is also the fact that he's going to call plays here. Because in Philadelphia, if Wright gets the Colts job and he had taken the OC job with the Eagles, he would have certainly still sort, sort of been the pseudo-quarterbacks coach, but Peterson calls plays there. So, as far as I could tell, I don't want to say that Zimmer's not involved with the offense, because he he certainly is, but as far as I could tell, Shermer had a ton of freedom, and this guy's going to have the same exact thing, but it's going to be interesting if he brings some of the thought process that, that Peterson had with the the Eagles as well, excuse me, and starts to use those, because there's definitely some cutting-edge stuff that would be pretty intriguing. 
Yeah, I think it's also worth noting too. Di Filippo has interviewed for head coaching jobs, or at least he's been in consideration for head coaching jobs over the years, despite the fact that he has very limited coordinating experience. So it just it goes along with that narrative that he is one of the most highly sought after bright young and young. I mean, he's like he's thirty nine or forty, so old. he's yep. he's not like Sean McVay young, where he's thirty one and he's yep. the youngest coach in maybe in the NFL's history. But people refer to John Filippo as an offensive genius. Um, I'd also be curious, just on a complete side note, to ask him once the ink is dry and you sit down and, okay, we, yeah, we're going to get into the film. But before we get into the film, what the hell did you guys do to us in the NFC Championship game? Like, wouldn't you want to know that if you're Mike Zimmer? I would have asked what, that yesterday. What, what happened and how did you absolutely destroy us and run that many successful offensive plays? What did you see? Well, I mean, it's, it's going to be nice to have that information. Here's a question that right? one, too. What's he go- going to do when so when he sits down now and, and and grinds film of the Vikings offense for hours and hours and hours? What's he going to think? And I'll, I'll go back to something that I talked to you about on uh, Monday or Tuesday show, especially the tight end position. The Eagles have good tight ends, yeah, really and, good and tight ends. Is okay, and Rudolph is okay, and he's a nice player. And there's certainly a place for him. I, I don't know at how much contractually, but when you look at what Ertz can do, I'm just I'm really intrigued by the fact that if you take Thielen and Diggs and add a tight end who's basically a tight end slash receiver as well, what that offense could accomplish. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up tight ends. Let's let's continue the uh, the conversation here about the Vikings' new offensive coordinator, John D. Filippo. That was fast. They requested an interview. They got it. They went to Philadelphia, interviewed him after the Eagles parade yesterday, so, and it wasn't like, okay, let's take a couple days. <laughs> they were stuck there for the parade. Who knows? The team that kicked your butt all over the field in Philadelphia, you now got to go back. But they get. But you know what? They they're able to tap into one of the the smarter coaching infrastructures yeah. in the NFL right now, and uh, it didn't take long for him to sign. So he must obviously think pretty highly of the Vikings and the organization and Mike Zimmer. If you have thoughts on it, or if you have thoughts on the Vikings quarterback situation. The reckless speculation lines are open. 651-646-8255, 877-615-1500. Write that down, predictions, at the top of the hour. We are in the TCL broadcast studios. When we come back, another interesting anecdote about Filippo as a teacher and his resume as an offensive coordinator includes a couple very positive things and probably added to the reason why the Vikings wanted him so bad. Mackie and Judd. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Now's the time to whip it out. On 1500 ESPN. Make plans to attend the 2018 Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Next Friday through Sunday, the 16th through the 18th at the Minneapolis Convention Center. Buy your tickets in advance and receive over $470 in value. Each paid advance ticket will receive 19 free green passes and your choice of golf shirt. To purchase tickets, head to 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Now, there's something they call the brain drain. The brain drain is when all the coordinators and coaches start getting picked and plucked from all these different teams that go to the Super Bowl. Frank Reich is going to interview for that Colts job. You might lose your offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. That is a huge, huge loss for that team. Filippo is a genius, especially in the red zone. That is his specialty. Uh, that's Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football. That's good. It's one of our favorite shows. I love how they had a meeting at some point a couple years ago bunch of suits in a boardroom and said, what should we call the new morning show on NFL Network? I don't know. Rise and punt? Football today. How about just good morning football? Yeah! 
Good so, morning. So they were raving. Nate Burleson raved about Filippo too on the morning show. Once again, showing that the National Football League can put on any program at once, at any time, and people will watch. Catches fire. Just, yep. call, just call it Good Morning Football. Who gives a you-know-what? <laughs> Here's an anecdote, and uh, phone lines are open. The reckless speculation lines are open. We're talking Vikings new offensive coordinator, quarterback, 651-646-8255, 877-615-1500. Here's how deep John Filippo goes in his preparation. This is an anecdote from The Athletic. Every Friday, Filippo hands his quarterbacks a test that also serves as a tip sheet. It's 20 to 30 pages and about 55 questions with photos and text containing information about the upcoming opponent. If the defense is showing a certain look pre-snap, how should the quarterback adjust the protection? If Wentz reads zone coverage on a specific passing concept, where should he go with the ball? If a quarterback is playing specific leverage, how is the receiver supposed to adjust his route? I, I guess, I mean, you covered the NFL for a long time. I think going this deep in preparation and having a 50, and then at the end he has like five random trivia questions just to make it fun. He's not, he's not like a drill sergeant <laughs> yeah. who's you know, giving you a test every Friday. It's, it's a fun exercise. Yep. Uh, but that sounds unique. I'm sure that there are a lot of coaches who are doing similar things just to retain knowledge and go deeper in what you can do at the line of scrimmage. But that seems pretty thorough. And I want to hear that. I don't want an offensive coordinator or a coach, old school, who's just there to fire everybody up. Do you want and a big, thick, long play Dan card? Dan Campbell. Not the Musgrave little uh, little I, card? I want... The chili yes. Denny's menu, basically? Right. I want someone cerebral. I want something complicated. I want guys who can teach. And that's, 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 what, what, I, do, that's what DeFilippo That's the most like. important thing to me. The last, thing, the last thing is the most important. I want someone who can teach, and I want somebody who can... Adapt and adjust to what his his QBs do well. I don't want a guy to come here with a preconceived notion of this is how I like to do things, and therefore we're going to do things this way. I, I want a guy who's flexible enough that if you uh, give him Keenum, Bridgewater, Foles, take your pick, that guy could sit down and say, okay, now I can start designing an offense that best suits this guy. Yeah, and and I'm not I'm not so I'm not just a West Coast guy. You know, I'm not darn it. I'm a West Coast guy, and we're going to run a West Coast offense. I want a guy who can take the the attributes he's given with his starting quarterback and use those. I mean, that's why the Patriots. I mean, and it's nice to have Tom Brady, and it's nice to have Bill Belichick, and just some of the smartest people in the room. But part of the reason why they're the smartest people in the room, or I guess a result of them being so smart and thorough, is they don't go into game plans with a system. All right, we're going to take our system, and we're going to make some tweaks to it, but this is our system, and we're going to go up against their system, and let's see who wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't stay on top for two decades. Teams figure out your system. Of course. Teams figure out the West Coast system defensively. They figure out what you're trying to do the Bears uh, 46 defense. Like, if that's your system, it's going to get figured out. How can you adjust to the adjustments? How can you adapt? And the Patriots, for almost two decades, because they have some of the smartest people in the room, are able to go week to week sometimes, half to half, and say, that's exactly let's do this. So if you can get closer to that, and if you can get more thorough with your preparation, I'm all for it. In 2010, when I covered the so the, the famous or infamous now Moss Vikings uh, Patriots game, I called somebody in New England who was covering the team, and I said, "What do the Patriots run?" Because I was just going to write something about their offense or Brady or something, and I said, "What what do they run for style?" And the reporter said, "They don't. They've got what they call a game plan offense." 
And the Patriots are often vague, and you say, oh, boy, they're just being vague for, for the sake of it. In that sense, it made perfect sense, right? So they have language that so, they simplify. Yes, they just cha- they change things. They they are smart enough to sit down on Monday and say, okay, for our next opponent, what can we best do? Yeah. So we don't have – so we're not a West Coast team. Because there's a lot of coaches that hold hold that as a, a source of pride. You know, we're a West Coast team. We do, But I, I think we are evolving, and I think as the league changes – what you are seeing now is more teams becoming flexible, but that's the most important thing that Shermer did. Shermer designed an offense specifically, I think, for Bradford, and I'm not saying that he changed it completely, but then when Bradford couldn't play, he looked at Case and said, okay, what does Case do well that Sam didn't, and vice versa, that I can now use Case to the best of his abilities, as opposed to telling him, you, you're going to run the Bradford offense because I spent all of this summer designing that. Yeah, I mean, I saw one nugget that Carson Wentz averaged like 9.8 yards in the air per throw before mm-hmm. the injury, so he was throwing the ball down the field on a regular basis. And they had to sort of recraft for Nick Foles a lot more dink and dunk, just shorter yards after the catch stuff. Now with the Vikings, he went down, he airmailed during that Vikings NFC Championship game, and they switched it up again. Uh, the only real offensive coordinator resume we have is obviously 2015 in Cleveland, which is a tough place to gauge anything because they're just such a disaster of a franchise. But John D. Filippo, even though they only won about three games that year, and Johnny Manziel was on the roster and. It was just a whole, and then they all got fired, and then Hugh Jackson came in, and he's won one game in two years. So it's it's a really tough place to gauge a coach's value. Yep. But there are three really interesting things that stand out about the offense in Cleveland. I would even say four. It's the first time, I believe, since 1986, I saw in the Vikings press release that the that the Cleveland Browns went over 4,000 gross passing yards and 1,500 gross rushing yards mm-hmm. in one season. Mm-hmm. And that was a John D. Filippo coordinated offense. It was Josh McCown's maybe second best season. Maybe th- he's been in the league since 2002 as a starter and a backup. His second or third, you could debate it, best season ever as a starting quarterback. And uh, it was the single best, uh, it was the best single season passer rating apparently in Brown's history. I want to double check that. I want to go back to like Bernie Kozar, but apparently 93.3 was the single best passer rating in Brown's history for a single season. And also, it's worth noting, he schemed the breakout season of Gary Barnage at tight end. Remember Gary Barnage? Yeah, vaguely, yes. He was a kind of a, he was in the league for, he was in his late 20s when he broke out finally. He really didn't do anything until the 2015 season where he caught 80 passes at tight end for over 1,000 yards and nine touchdowns. He was one of the best pass-catching tight ends in the league that year. And also, Travis Benjamin, and that's really his only big pop-up season, Travis Benjamin, who was okay with the Chargers last year, was one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, and it was it was a Pro Bowl season for him and really the only pop-up year, all in a John DiFilippo offense. So now, did DiFilippo, did he replace Norv then? So Norv must have been, I think Norv was offensive coordinator for the mm-hmm. Browns before him, and then Norv, I forget if he walked or got fired and came here. But yeah, I mean, if you look at, at what he did, and you're right, that team is such a dumpster fire, that it's it's like if you have success in Cleveland, it should be multiplied by two. So <laughs> yes. like Shermer won what something like eight games in two years. That's about sixteen wins. But if you look at, at what he did with that offense and that franchise, it's pretty good. I just I'm really curious to see and and I get the the copycat thing uh, 
happens a lot in this league. I'm really curious to see what he brings from Philly now, though, as far as ideas, as far as Peterson has shown himself to be. If, when you outcoach Zimmer and Belichick by that much, you're pretty damn good. So it sounds like this guy was pretty observant. If he watched uh, Peterson operate closely, the thing that I'm most curious to see is what did he pick up in the past year and what can he bring to this team now from that? Uh, worth noting, too, just for, for fairness here, 1987, Bernie Kosar did have a slightly better passer rating, 95.4, in uh, a year where they, I think they lost in the AFC Championship game. But, you know, there's a lot of things to that point Browns to for... one point though. Right. They, there, but they were actually respectable. There's a lot of things to point to for for John Filippo being a really good hire by the Vikings who made it official earlier this morning. A lot more on that. Also, we'll get back to the Wild, and that just that's the worst loss of the season for the Wild. There's no getting around it. They were up 3 nothing late oh, at home against the worst team in the NHL. Arizona Coyotes, come on, they're impressive, 33 God. points. So we'll get more into that, too. Uh, write that down predictions and an accountability session coming up next. Mackie and Judd in the TCL Broadcast Studio.